The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. One of our segments today is actually for students who have already gotten in, chosen their college, graduated, and are now about to start repaying those student loans. So my colleague, Jean Mahan, is going to be walking us through how best to prepare to do that. Believe it or not, it isn't necessarily just something where you sit down and write a check. There are some things to be thinking about. Uh, Then, believe it or not as well, we are just weeks away from the 2015-2016 Common Application Going Live, which means the fall application season is about to go into full swing. I feel like one of those back-to-school ads that airs in June or those catalogs that I'm getting, so I'm sorry. I feel a little bit like a Grinch here, but at any rate, it is time to start talking about the fall and your applications, and later on in this episode, we're going to dig into how to best present extracurricular activities in your applications for maximum impact. And I'm also going to announce the first winner in our ongoing listener contest that started last week. But first, before we get to any of that, we're really excited to welcome Common Application Representative Scott Anderson, who's responsible for helping the organization essentially expand access to a college education to as many people out there as possible. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We're really excited to have you join us today. And for many of our listeners, the Common App, it's the Common App is a place where well, you've been with the with the Common App since 2009. I've been in admissions for more than 10 years. Uh, you've been in for, I think, even longer than that. So the Common App is something that we are intimately familiar with. But for many of our listeners, the phrase the Common App has had very little meaning to them up until very recently. And for some listeners, this may be the first time they're actually ever hearing about it. So before we talk about this year's application, I was I was wondering if you could give us a little bit about the history and the background of the Common App. Absolutely. And and uh, as I said, thank you for having us on. Just this year, uh, that, that is coming to a close, over 850,000 students use the Common App to apply to our uh, almost 600 college members. And so we're really happy to be able to, to be here talking to you and sharing this information with the students and parents who are, who are listening out there. Um, the Common Application has been around for 40 years. I, I don't think many people uh, realize how long we've, we've been in existence. And uh, we started out with 15 small, selected liberal arts colleges scattered around the country, uh, forward-thinking institutions who realized it would be very beneficial uh, to students and get rid of a lot of the needless friction in the 
application process, if they could come up with a single application form that students could use to apply to any of the 15. And so that's what they did um, that first year. It was called the Common Application Experiment. We have a, a, an old <laughs> scan of that first page of the Common App, and it says on there, the Common App Experiment. Uh, well, 40 years later, that experiment has evolved into um, a, a broad, diverse membership of uh, what is now over 600 colleges uh, as we enter this, this coming year. Um, and uh, we are... Uh, we are an online resource now. We had been in print and paper, obviously, uh, but students can uh, can can log on, create an account at no charge. Um, they enter all of their information into one place, so they don't need to repeat things like their their address and their school information and their extracurricular activities. And then they they select which of the colleges they want to send their applications to. Many of our colleges mm-hmm. will have supplemental information that they want. From students, it could be as simple as a few questions, or perhaps as complex as an additional essay or two. Um, but it maintains it all in one place, and it streamlines the process for students. I mean, I know I love the Common App because it does really streamline the process. So that when we're working with students and families, it's just easier if the schools that they're applying to accept the Common App, it makes the process, it just cuts down on the amount of administrative stuff, like you're saying, having to enter your address multiple times, having to enter the same stuff over and over again, which, so I'm a big fan. Uh, And I didn't realize it had been around that long, so that's interesting to hear. Uh, One of the big things that is changing this year are some of the writing requirement changes. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, um, that change this year? Yeah, absolutely. That, that is one of the, the biggest changes that we have going on uh, this year. Um, and it stems from uh, I think a, a pretty bold decision that our board of directors made last fall. Um, historically, the common application has been open uh, m- membership in the common application, I should say, and that was something I neglected to say earlier. We are a membership association of colleges, and, and we exist to have this this tool called the common application. Um, but uh, our, our, our board of directors, just, uh, or rather historically, um, membership had been open to colleges that required of their applicants uh, both a, an essay and a an academic recommendation of some kind. And unless you were a college that required both of those things of your applicants, you could not be a member of the common application. And uh, our board of directors decided this this past fall um, in the spirit of expanding access and expanding opportunities to students beyond the colleges that did admissions in that way, that it would be beneficial for all involved to remove those membership requirements. And so now uh, membership in the common application is open to any college or university um, that is uh, undergraduate degree granting, uh, um, accredited, not-for-profit, and shares our mission of promoting uh, access, equity, and integrity in the college admission process. Um, for that reason, we have now given uh, our member colleges the opportunity to require or not require the Common App personal essay, depending on what their needs are. And um, that's necessitated some technical changes within the Common Application interface it's, itself. Um, for mm-hmm. parents who are listening who may have had older children who have gone through this in the past, um, they may remember the Common App uh, essay as, as being uh, sort of part and parcel with the application itself. Um, but next year there will be a bit more flexibility 
in terms of students being able to submit an essay or not, depending on what the requirements of the individual colleges are. So it might be possible, theoretically, this year for a student to apply to a series of schools, none of which require an essay and not, and still use the Common App and never have to write an essay. It's possible. It, it is certainly possible, yes. Okay. Do, do you have, off the top of your head, the number of colleges that join that are not going to require an essay? Just curious. <laughs> Right. We, we don't, we are still, we are uh, about a week away from, uh, just over a week away from launching next year's application and we're still working uh, hard with our, all of our member colleges to make sure that their individual member pages are ready to go when the system uh, launches. We, we did some preliminary um, surveying of um, our returning members at least to find out if they intended to continue to require the essay or not, and the vast majority of them uh, are still requiring the Common App essay. Yeah, I mean, my general sense is that for the colleges that have always wanted an essay, I'm guessing we're going to see that continue, And but maybe what that does is open up new channels for colleges that previously would not have asked or been part of the member organization now to, to join up and also um, allow their students to apply through the Common App. But So that's yeah. going to be really interesting to see. The other big thing, and we actually did a segment on this earlier this year uh, about the changes to the writing prompts on the Common App, and I thought it would be really interesting for our listeners to understand, um, you know, why and how you come to the decision to change the prompts and and kind of how you come to a final decision on what they actually should be. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um we changed the prompts for the first time uh, two years ago, and that had been after many years of either no change or very little change. What, what we've done prior to that was perhaps add a question every every few years. But two years ago, um, we decided to take a look at the existing essay prompts um, in their entirety and, and, and really ask ourselves, are these prompts serving students well? We had six essay prompts at the time. What we found was that about three-quarters of all of the essays that were being written were being written on three topics alone, and that made us uh, wonder if we could do a better job of offering students different opportunities uh, for writing about themselves uh, in a way that would appeal more broadly uh, to them. So we decided um, to, uh, to revisit the prompts in full. So we requested suggestions from our member colleges. We requested suggestions from the counselors who are on our um, outreach advisory committee, which is an advisory committee we have of folks who work in the counseling community. Um, and, um, and our goal was to make sure that every student would have a home in the essay prompt somewhere so that regardless of what they wanted to write about, they could find a springboard for addressing that um, that particular attribute about themselves, uh, and so we we launched those prompts, those you know, fully revised prompts, two years ago for the first time, with a promise to revisit them on a regular basis. Uh, last year um, in the winter, we um, we felt that it was too soon to to make any revisions because uh, our colleges hadn't even had a chance to to go through a full cycle with with those prompts, and so this. This 
this uh, winter of 2015, we really took a hard look at how well those new prompts were serving um, serving applicants and serving our member colleges. And, and uh, to do that, we, we surveyed um, very broadly. We surveyed our member colleges, and we put out a public survey for uh, for counselors, for students, for parents, for anybody who wanted to to respond. Um, and we found some really interesting things that were quite gratifying. Number one uh, was that over uh, 90% of our uh, constituents, by which I mean uh, counselors, students, parents, uh, not colleges, um, found that the essay prompts were serving them pretty well. And over 80% of our member colleges felt that they were serving students well. And and so that... uh, confirmed that we were we were heading in the right direction for sure. But we also got some um, some interesting feedback that there were some prompts that were working a bit better than others. And uh, and, and and we asked folks for um, for insight into what qualities they felt um, were maybe most difficult for students to convey in the existing essay prompts. And uh, what we heard was that uh, colleges felt it was difficult. Uh, colleges and also counselors felt it was hard for students to convey analytical ability, um, intellectual curiosity. And so we, um, we jettisoned one of the prompts uh, that we had had originally, and we replace it with one that deals with problem solving uh, to try to get at that an, uh, analytical ability. And um, and then we we publicize those, I think, in March of this year. And we try to do it in that March time frame each year so that um, English teachers of juniors, for example, who might be doing essay writing workshops have something to work with um, as, they, uh, as they round out the year. So that's how we, we went about the, um, the, the process of, of changing and, um, and, and researching and, um, and surveying folks. Yeah, I, I love the the long process that you went through, and and I will say I also love the timing of when you release the new prompts because that is useful if you have students who are working on this with their English teachers or maybe with a counselor or kids who want to get a jump on what they're going to be working on for the fall. Um, you know, I'm not a big believer that you start working on your senior year college essay in March of your junior year, but at the yeah, same time, nor am I. Right, that's right. <laughs> if you're motivated, there's there. That's not exactly. Um, I'll take a motivated student who's ready to do it over the unmotivated one who's going to leave it till the night before. But still, I think it's really helpful to have those. And um, my personal feedback and, and the feedback of all of my colleagues here at College Coaches that I think we're really happy with the changes that you made two years ago and the tweaks seem good this year and um, maybe a few fewer essays about their favorite place, which was maybe a beautiful lake house or <laughs> some other location that wasn't quite as illuminating there, as we had hoped. That's right. I mean, that definitely was the the prompt that we heard the the most about and what we what was really interesting is that the the kids who got it got it and the kids who mm-hmm. didn't really didn't and and so we had viewed that as a as a prompt um, as a springboard for talking about um, activities that students might be interested in so if you perhaps you want to talk about community service so you might talk mm-hmm. Use the the place where you do that as a as a springboard for discussing your passion for service. Um, there were students who definitely made that connection and did a phenomenal job in, in writing absolutely outstanding essays. And then there were others who um, perhaps didn't do quite as well uh, or yes. didn't make that connection. And so we we that's why we uh, we revisited that. The other thing that I would say, which I neglected to mention, is that we were especially gratified um, when we we heard that. Um, from from counselors who work with 
uh, historically underserved students that the revised prompts really for the first time helped those students see that, that their, their backgrounds and their stories were, were both valid and valued by colleges. And that wasn't something that we had before. So it was definitely a goal of ours, and, and we uh, were really pleased that we, uh, we achieved that. Yeah, I think I, I find the prompts non-intimidating and the additional language that you added to them for this year to me really helped to further explain what or I don't know, just just really helped students to better understand, oh, this is what the kind of thing they're going for here. And and I think that's really useful. We touch 77,000 families every year, uh, and many of whom have college coaches a free benefit for them. Uh, but not everyone has access to that. And, and there are a lot of counselors out there who are really overstretched in terms of the number of students that they're having to work with. So prompts that are more explanatory than less, I do, I can see how that would really help those populations out. And, and that's exciting to see. And yeah, well, we I agree. appreciate that feedback. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a, uh, just another minute or so, and I was just curious if there's anything else that you wanted to share, anything you were eager to tell the audience about that I didn't ask about. Oh, um, absolutely. Um, I, I think um, what is most exciting to me and to my colleagues as we look toward this coming year is the um, the battery of resources that we are going to be rolling out um, to help uh, students and parents and counselors um, not just understand the Common App itself and how it works and how you use it, but to understand the college admission process better. And not just the college admission process for students applying to college as seniors, but the entire college preparation and planning process. Um, in, in the coming weeks, you will see from us um, things that you've never seen from us before, um, okay. resources and training guides and advice and, um, and writing that comes out. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, as, a, as a former counselor myself, extremely excited uh, about being able to offer those resources to um, to all students and especially students that don't have the benefit of, um, of strong, um, consistent counseling in their high schools. Yep. Great. Well, that sounds exciting. We'll keep an eye out for it. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate that. Uh, to thank my you. listeners, absolutely. Um, we're going to be back after the break to talk preparing to enter repayment, so don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Lots of people talk about publishing their work, but have no idea where to start. If you are one of these aspiring authors or know somebody who is, don't miss Publishing Today Radio with Athena Dean Holtz. Thought leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and in general, storytellers all want to get their messages in print. And that includes branding and marketing. Athena and her guests are here to answer your publishing questions and more. Tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, Before we get into our next segment, I want to remind everyone about our listener promotions. We started this last week, and basically we're just asking you, our listeners, to submit your questions or your topic ideas at www.getintocollege.com forward slash radio. So you go to that website, www.getintocollege.com forward slash radio, and you send in, you submit your idea there, and then we're going to choose the most timely and relevant topics. We're going to create a listener's choice show that we're going to air in a few weeks. Um, But all submissions, regardless of whether we choose your idea or not, are going to be entered into a raffle, and we're going to select three winners, one each week until the end of July, to win a free 30-minute consult with one of our college coach experts, and those are otherwise known as my fabulous guests who join me every week. Uh, I'm going to announce last week's winner at the end of this show, and this week's winner will be drawn on Tuesday, July 28th at noon. Um, We've already gotten a lot of great ideas. We look forward to getting more, so send those in. In the meantime, Jean Mahan is back. I don't know how many times you've been on the show now, Jean, but it feels like a bunch. It does. (laughs) So today we're talking preparing for loan repayment. Uh, and what I was talking about at the beginning of the show is that, you know, in general, this is a show about getting into college. But for uh, some of our listeners or some parents of our listeners, perhaps, um, may have already gotten into college, decided where they're going to go, gone and graduated. And now they're going to be thinking about starting to repay those loans in just a couple of months. So sure. what's... And yes, I'm sure that while the specter of paying out a big chunk of your monthly or biweekly paycheck is a little scary, uh, there are at least some things you can do to get yourself ready to start that phase. What would be the first thing that you would recommend? 
So the first thing, especially if you're a recent grad, you're likely not going into repayment until the end of the year, but your grace period will be ending about six months from the time you graduated. So now is a great time while there's no pressure to get organized. So if your school provided you with like an exit counseling packet, take the time to review it now. I know it was very exciting at the end of the school year, graduation was on the horizon and, you know, you just kind of tucked that file away and said, I'll deal with it later. Well, now is a great time to do that. So you can look through that um, packet of information. Your school may have put together a really nice um, listing of all your loans and where you can find them. But if they didn't or if you've misplaced that folder, the National Student Loan Data System is the is the place to go to look up all your federal loans. And that website is nslds.ed.gov. You can go in there and you can get a ton of information about your student loans, what kind of federal student loans you have. You might have a Perkins loan or a Stafford loan or a direct loan. You can find out what the interest rate is. You can find out what the original principal balance is and what the interest is that's accrued. But probably the most important piece of information that you'll be looking for is the servicer name and contact information. So that's a really vital resource for you. I definitely recommend um, bookmarking that. If you've got loans from um, your college or university or you borrowed private loans and you're not sure really who you'll be repaying, you can um, pull a copy of your credit report and the Department of Education recommends using annualcreditreport.com to get your free credit report and you can review that. And remember, you can always reach out to your college's financial aid office to get this information because they did keep records of all the loans you borrowed while you were a student there. So I think this is a great time to sort of Sit down, make a spreadsheet, know what your dates are, what your amounts are, your monthly payments, that kind of thing. Yeah, and if you don't have a job yet, you probably, even more important to understand what's looming so that you can figure out, what do I need to be doing in the interim while I look for my full-time job so that I'm going to be ready to start making these payments as soon as the first one is due? Right. So important to really be in touch with your loan servicer to make sure that they have um, current contact information for you. Um, you can't hide from this debt. It's going to follow you. So it's better to just face up and deal with your loan servicer. And if you're not working or if you can't make your payment as it's currently structured, reach out to your loan servicer to find out what types of relief you have available. A lot of times when students are doing exit counseling in the spring of their senior year, they just sort of choose the standard 10-year repayment plan, which mm-hmm. is always going to be the cheapest plan, you know, in the long run as far as how much interest you pay, but it actually works out to be a rather expensive plan for new grads because you're likely paying more per month. So it might be worthwhile to, to contact your servicer to see what other types of repayment plans you could take advantage of. Maybe an income-based repayment plan is going to work for you. Maybe a graduated repayment where you're making smaller payments in the first two to four years after you get out of school. Maybe that's going to be in your best interest. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a job, there are often um, economic hardship or unemployment deferments available to you. So always contact your servicer at the first hint that you can't make a payment to see what types of relief there is for you because there certainly are ways to help. If you just sort of ignore it and let it go, um, it will just come back in a bad way to hurt you. You know, it negative information on your credit report, what you might feel are harassing phone calls, and even maybe garnishment of your wages when you finally do get a job. So always be in touch with your servicer to find out what your options are. 
I, I actually have a story, and it's been a very, very long time since I graduated from college, but I had debt, and um, I was on that 10-year payment plan, and I missed a payment, one payment, mm-hmm. and it wasn't because I couldn't pay it. It was because I just was late. <laughs> I mm-hmm. forgot to write the check and mail it in, and they called one missed payment. They called my parents. Yep. who had not co-signed on the loan. So if you're con- concerned about your parents getting involved or them knowing what's going on with your finances, that might be another reason to act yourself first before you let that happen. That was not a very fun phone call right. with my mom after and the fact. What happens is that you know if they can't reach you because the information they have for you is no longer current, you would have listed uh, two people that they could call if they weren't able to reach you, and you probably don't even remember doing that because you did it on your master promissory note for when you first barred your loan, and that's where they get that information. So, yes, if you don't want your parents to get those calls or the person that you listed as someone who would know your whereabouts in the future, then definitely make sure that you're always keeping up to date. And another thing, Beth, you mentioned you know, being late with the payment or forgetting to make it, Right now, you know, there's auto debit from your checking or savings account, and students can set this up directly with the loan servicer. The payments are automatically taken out of your che- out of your account each month. Most servicers will reduce your interest rate by 0.25% if you allow them to do auto debit, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but anything you're not paying to your servicer yeah. is money that you can use to rebate down some of the principal. So that's a really, a really good option. And also, um, they'll oftentimes allow you to choose a day in the month. So most of the services, if you're doing auto debit, will say, okay, these are the four dates in the month that we, we pull these payments. What works best for you? So if all your bills are due on the first of the month, maybe that's not the best time for them to be going in and pulling that money. Maybe the 15th of the month is a better day for you. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility, plus it gives you a tiny bit of savings. And yeah, then you don't have to worry about making, writing checks or exactly. remembering. Right. And it's, you know, a tiny bit of savings, to your point, it goes a long way. It's more you can pay towards your principal or just more, a little bit more money in your pocket. And um, any money that you're not paying out is money that belongs to you. And exactly. isn't that always? You mentioned something a minute ago that I wanted to come back to, and that was an income-based repayment option. Mm-hmm. What is that all about? Can you talk to us a little more about yeah, that? Sure. That's, that program's been in force for a few years now, and it's really a great program, especially for students that might be making, um, you know, they might be working in public service and they're maybe making, um, you know, not as much money as they would like to or they're only working part-time right now and they really can't afford maybe a $300 a month payment. So you work with your servicer. They'll usually ask to see a copy of your the previous year's income tax or some kind of proof of your income. And they'll they'll reduce your payments. Um, they adjust the payment downward. So they look at your annual income and they reduce it. And then you pay, depending on when you borrowed, between 10 and 15% of your income towards student loan repayment. So for some students who maybe are starting out and didn't work last year and they're going into repayment this year, they could have a zero payment, um, which sounds crazy. It sounds like, well, how could that be? I'm in repayment. I have a zero payment. But they're basing your income-based repayment on the fact that you had no income. Um, sometimes it's only $50 a month if you're working very part-time. So that's why I usually recommend uh, that, you know, if you, if you kind of quickly signed up for that standard repayment and now you're saying, wow, my payment is like 300 a month and I really can't afford that, to reach out to your servicer and see what other options are available for you. If you're in a, in a kind of a business where you have predictable increases in your salary, 
maybe a graduated repayment is something that you'd mm-hmm. like to take advantage of. Still 10 years, but you're starting off with significantly lower payments. And by the end of the 10-year period, the payments are higher, but theoretically so is your salary and they'd be easier to make. So, and right. for some students that are working in public service or nonprofits, if they're in, in a, an income-based repayment program, um, they could also consider signing up for public service loan forgiveness, which after 10 years of an adjusted payment could result in loan um, forgiveness of the balance at 10 years. So, and, and it, Yeah, so that's, which is phenomenal, yeah. of course. Um, and I think the bottom line, what I'm hearing is it's you don't just have to take that standard 10-year pay off the same amount every month and that really you want to take a close look at what your options are mm-hmm. because um, at the end of the day, all that anyone really wants is for you to pay off as much of this as you can, right? Yeah. And they mm-hmm. want to make it available, it, it, make it easy for you to do that or easier for you to do that in a way that doesn't put you at a, in a point where you don't have any money at all, but right. where they're also going to be getting some money as well. Yeah. And I think we focus a lot on people who can't make their payments, but on the other side of the coin, there might be some um, borrowers who are doing very well for themselves and they want to prepay their loans. There's absolutely no penalty for doing that in the federal loan program. So, you know, doubling up your payments, making sure that that additional payment, though, is going to the principal balance each month and that you're not getting a payment holiday the next month or that it's going to pay next month's interest. So if you are considering... um, prepaying your loans, making sure that you're careful about um, letting the servicer know this additional payment should go to the principal balance of my loan Um, and maybe get out of this whole thing a whole lot faster than 10 years. Yeah. And if you're in an industry where you are getting bonuses, Mm -hmm. uh, take that money and put it towards your loans rather than towards something fancy that you probably want to buy for yourself, but right. pay off the loan and then yeah. you could do that. Right. Then you could buy the other. What if you're, what if you are, you've just graduated, you were an undergrad and now you're actually going to go back to grad school. What mm-hmm. are some, some tips for those people? So if you're going back to school at least half time, you should be able to defer your debt, um, which means that you wouldn't have to make any payments during the period that you're in school, even if that program is five more years. So your payments would go back into, your loans would go back into deferment. You wouldn't be required to make any payments. If you have any subsidized loans, and those are loans that had the interest paid while you were in school previously, now that you're back in school half-time, that interest subsidy is restored. Any unsubsidized loans, which are loans that accrued interest while you're in school, will continue to accrue interest during the in-school deferment period. Now, your school will take a responsibility for notifying what's called the clearinghouse, that you're back in school half-time. And the loan servicers get the information from the clearinghouse. But what I always recommend is that if you have a payment due, you know, in that first month of school, try to make that payment because there's an excellent chance that the clearinghouse won't have been updated by the time your payment is due. Mm -hmm. Or alternately, if you can't afford to make that payment, to get a paper deferment form, ask the registrar's office at your new school to complete that form, and you can usually fax it into the loan servicer. But don't assume that you won't have to make that payment. Um, You know, work with your servicer again, explain that you're going back to school, what do they think would be the best way for you to um, get this all cleared up as quickly as possible. So, yeah, you could stay in school another 15 years and leave (laughs) your loans in deferment. Don't recommend it, but um, but but you you have that option, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Anything else, Jean, that we didn't talk about related to preparing to enter the repayment phase? Um, 
You know, just always, I think the most important thing is, um, you know, staying in touch with your loan servicer. Um, your loan servicer, you know, they're really not your friend, and if they're reaching out to you for some reason, definitely respond by email, by snail mail, by phone, or however they're contacting you. They need something from you. They're not just calling to see if you're having a good day. Um, <laughs> ignoring their phone calls or their emails could lead to problems down the road. Um, and sometimes they have good news for you. Maybe there's a new repayment plan available that they think you're qualified for. So, you know, it's always good to just make sure that there's no problems. Um, like you said, you missed a payment, they called. Um, so find out what it is they need. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, this is not really a difficult process once you get it set up and running. It, it does take a little bit of work, a little bit of um, organization to get everything in place but once you do that, and especially if you're doing auto debit, as long as the money's in the account, it should run very smoothly. So um, I think that, I, you know, having worked with students and borrowers for so many years, I think it's just really important to stay on top of it, don't ignore it, open your mail, open your emails, and respond um, so that you're not missing out on anything, that you're not starting to miss your payments. Because once you start missing payments, it reported negatively on your credit history, and if you should, by some horrible circumstance, end up in default, that's going to cause a whole bunch of other problems. And it's totally avoidable as long as you're, you're working with your loan servicer. Just got to stay on top of that for sure. Yeah, exactly. Jean, thanks again for coming back. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's great to be here again. All right, good. Well, I'm sure we will talk to you again on the show sometime in the future. Uh, To our listeners, we're going to be back in just a minute. We're going to announce the first winner in our listener contest, and we're also going to talk about how to best present those extracurricular activities that students spend so much of their time on. So don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm super excited. I said before the break, and I actually introduced this at the very beginning of the show, that we're going to announce our very first winner. And I am excited to announce that Jay Mickenberg, who tells us that he actually listens all the time and maybe has listened to every show. So how exciting. He is the first of three winners in our listener contest. And Jay, if you would email us at www.getintocollege.com forward slash radio, and we're going to set you up with your free consult. I think we also have your email address. So if we don't hear from you, we'll reach out to you. But if you're listening and you hear this and you want to reach out, that would be great. All right, so you've all heard about how important extracurricular activities are in the college admissions process. You can't really talk about admissions without hearing about that. One thing that I notice frequently is that it's much less widely discussed uh, how you present the fact that how you present those is equally and potentially even more important than what you're doing. It's not more important than what you're doing, but if you're just doing a bunch of stuff and you're not thoughtful in the way that you present that in your application, uh, all of that stuff that you're doing is kind of going to waste. We get questions about this all the time, uh, lots of questions from our listeners and just uh, with the fam from the families we work with in general. So my colleague, Tova Tolman, collected all these questions together, and she's joining me today because she's going to throw them at me, and, and we're going to go through them together. Hi, Tova. Hey, Beth. It's great to be back. Yeah, thanks for joining me again. Appreciate it. We know this is a big question, so I know you've got a bunch of questions in front of you. Uh, Lay them on me, and and let's go through them together. (laughs) And, you know, before we get into them, because there there are some pretty specific ones, let's just start with some general advice. Uh, Where do people begin with this process in terms of presenting those activities? Step number one is really to keep... Uh, a list of everything you're doing. I suggest that students start doing that when they're freshmen and that they, at the very least, just have a piece of paper where they jot down what they're doing. Try to pay attention to how many hours per week they're mm-hmm. devoting to the activity and how many weeks per year they're they're devoting to it. And if they have a one-off community service thing that they do or just something that they do once or twice, keep track of that as well. That may not ultimately make it onto your final list, but you want to at least have an accurate record. And for students who are coming up a little short and their list of what they've participated in might feel a little thin, it's always nice to have a few extra things that you actually did way back when to fill out what might feel a little um, like a short list. Uh, So that's A number one. And I think in terms of um, you really want to be thoughtful about how you're presenting this stuff. The the application, in essence, is going to 
speak for you. You are generally not going to be in the room with the admissions officer when they're reading your application. And so (laughs) certainly the essay is a place where they're going to hear your voice, but also you need to present the activities in the most impactful way. And that would include putting the most important stuff up front. Um, making sure that you're including, you're kind of grouping like items together. Um, If you have leadership, you want to get that up front. That tends to be something colleges really like to see. Uh, You want to, you don't want to lead with something that you did as a freshman. Uh, If you no longer participate in it, you want to be leading with the things that are most relevant to who you are now. Uh, And, I see a lot of times students taking up spaces. Um, They come to me and say, well, I can't fit everything that I've done into the space provided on the application. Often that's the common application, but sometimes it is a school's application. And then I take a look and I realize that they are, you know, maybe they're putting down JV lacrosse and then varsity lacrosse and then a lacrosse camp. And um, when, in fact, they probably could have grouped all three of those together under the heading of lacrosse. Exactly. So um, now, if you only do lacrosse, it may make sense to list all of those things separately. But if you're trying to fit a bunch of things into 10 spaces, there are often times where students can condense, and I see uh, that they don't always do that. Mm-hmm. That's what really else? helpful. Yeah. It sounds like some good, good advice of common mistakes to avoid there, certainly. Yes. Now, what about for the students who feel like they have a lot of of meat, but they run out of room. So this question has come in from a listener saying, I've heard that I need to include a resume with my application. Is that true? Good question. I would say that 90% of students do not need to include a resume. And the reason for that is because most of the time, admissions officers are really looking for the highlights. They want to see what have you accomplished outside of the classroom during your time in high school. Uh, so they don't really want to know what you did in middle school. They don't really care about that first place award you won in field, on field day in second grade. They are most uh, <laughs> concerned with the activities that you participated in in high school. And even there, that one-off, that one time you participated in Relay for Life and you devoted one hour of your day to that, that's just not going to have impact versus the student who perhaps spent 10 hours a week coordinating a local Relay for Life and rose in the organization to not just coordinating an event for their own school, but maybe a regional event. That's going to be a very impactful thing. Um, so I, I generally find that if you really look at the key items that students were involved in, they generally do fit in the space provided. And the stuff that they usually want to add as part of the resume is fairly extraneous. Now, are there times when students are doing things that um, aren't really, it's, you don't get a lot of space on the Common App in particular to describe what you're involved in. And as you know from being an admissions officer, I don't really need an explanation of what the uh, community service club does. I don't really need to know what lacrosse is to pick on lacrosse. Uh, I know what that is. I know what the student newspaper is. I know what the yearbook is. Most of the things that students are involved with are fairly self-explanatory. But 
sometimes kids are involved in things that aren't self-explanatory and where you really as an admissions officer don't necessarily know what was involved. I remember once reading um, a student application and Coffee Club was listed on the student's application and she had actually included a resume. And what I discovered in the resume was that Coffee Club was not a group of kids getting together at Starbucks and trying the different flavors, <laughs> but was actually like a community. A good club to me. It does sound like a good club, doesn't it? But it wasn't that. It was an oddly named community service group uh, who did some pretty unique stuff. And so she outlined that briefly in a separate resume that she included. And, and I thought that that made sense. That was appropriate. And every once in a while, I do encounter a student who is intensively involved in a lot of things that really Literally, they can't fit them all onto the Common App. And again, that's a good time where you might want to include a resume. But um, I would say that, and I would love to hear if you feel differently, I would say that the average student does not need a resume as part of the application, unless the application doesn't have a place to list activities and specifically says, please include a resume. I, I think that last caveat you just added is the is really the only exception there of, of when I'd look for one. One of the schools I worked at actually did not have a place on the application. The other three were common app schools. And I'll be honest with you, it kind of irritated me when the student left that blank and just wrote on, see attached resume. I, I don't oh, want yeah. to see the attached resume. We have this grid here for a reason. It's been thoughtfully built by hundreds of opinions of admission uh, counselors and guidance counselors. And it's there for a reason. I yep. also think that students sometimes make the mistake of filling it out briefly and then expanding and re repeating items on the resume. Really, I, I think that that's a mistake as well. I think you're right there, that really for the majority of students, there's no need uh, to, to have something supplemental. So I, I, would, I would agree wholeheartedly with you on that one. And two points that and, I want um, to make. Oh, sorry. Okay. Two other points I wanted to make there. The first is, uh, if it says fill out this section on the application, please do not ever say, please see attached and leave it blank. That would be the one of the most annoying things that students ever did when I was an admissions officer. And my golden rule is you do not want to annoy your admissions officer because <laughs> they are the people that are going to advocate for you. So don't ever do that. And then my other, um, I do have a pet peeve too with students who create resumes that look like my resume or like their parents' mm. resume. An activities resume really should be completely focused on activities. It's not a place where you include your GPA or your test scores or your address or all those things that they're already going to have elsewhere on the application. So if you're submitting an, a resume, my personal preference is that it more or less mirror the section on the Common App where you're essentially telling us what you did, how many hours a week you did it, how many um, weeks out of the year you participated, what grades you participated in the activity, uh, and maybe a brief description. Um, but otherwise, there's not a lot else that I want to see on that if you are going to do a resume. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> now, one point you touched on uh, touches on another question that uh, recently came in uh, about middle school. What about those big achievements that the students had, you know, back before high school? Is that something to be included? The only thing I could think of or would be uh, maybe if you won the National Spelling Bee, that would be something I'd probably put in there <laughs> somehow, work in there. Um, if you, th That's really 
quite literally the only thing I could think of or, or some other pretty extraordinary accomplishment. But in general, there's really no place for anything earlier than high school on the application. Maybe you are a top gymnast and you've been participating in gymnastics since kindergarten. Uh, and you, I suppose you could mention that. But from an admissions officer perspective, I don't really care. I'm really mostly focused on what you are doing in high school. That is my primary area of focus. And so the fact that you may have won best all around at your local gym when you were in third grade is just not relevant to the topic at hand, which is who is the student uh, that we are potentially getting who is going to be a participating member of our community possibly next year? So I, say I, no. I would agree with that. Yep. And I think another example of, of you know, one of those extraordinary uh, moments is if, if it really shaped who you are today. I saw a student once who slipped in and mentioned that, oh, by the way, I was a Disney star. She no longer was, but it's true. She had a hit show on Disney for a number of years, and uh, it was very much a part of, of what shaped some of, of who she was leading into high school, and it was good context to have. But yeah, I'd say that's at that level of national spelling bee winner. Otherwise, it's not relevant. Yes, agreed. Okay. Next question here. Is the activities list the only place I should share information about my activities outside of the classroom? Uh, I really think that when you are looking to present your accomplishments in your application, Certainly, that's a good place to include as much of what you've done as possible. That's relevant per our earlier, what we were talking about earlier. But often I find that when we start to think about what a student is going to write his or her essay about, the activities list can be a really good place to go for inspiration. So as an example, um, I worked with a student a couple of years ago who was really passionate about running. He was a top cross-country runner at his school. He had competed uh, and trained uh, nationally, and all of that was really great, but he had also gotten involved in the local community helping to get young students really more active. So he started some running clubs in the local community and then uh, drafted some other people to start them in their own community. And he was um, born and raised in an area with a high obesity rate, especially a high childhood obesity rate. And he used it as a springboard to bring healthy living and then also started to teach kids about healthy eating and how they all go together. Uh, And it really, it, it wasn't captured accurately in his activities list, but it was in there and it really was a great thing for him to write his essay about. And so... I do encourage students to take a look at the things that they're doing because they're often, what you do is is often or hopefully will be what you are most interested in and most passionate about. And and you're ideally you're doing things that you really enjoy or that you really love. And when I'm looking to learn something about you in your essay, I want to learn, I'm much more interested in learning about something you really love or you're really excited about than about something you think I want to hear about. So I don't know that it is the only place. Uh, In fact, often it's not. I also think that when it comes time for those supplemental essays that a lot of schools require, uh, so maybe it's a short answer or uh, a short paragraph of additional writing that you need to do, 
what you do outside of the classroom can be a good idea generator for those pieces as well. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. And you know what? I think this next question it has to have come from someone who heard this first your answer already to the previous question because this next one's about the essay. You know, you're talking about uh, including your activities in the essay. This next student wants to know if the essay should be about all of their activities? Ah, great question and perfect uh, way to wrap this up because we only have about another minute or two. Uh, No, it should never be about all of your activities. In fact, there are few essays that are worse than the essays that are just a laundry list of something that someone did. Uh, And if you are looking to write about your activities, you really need to be looking to write about one of them. And even then, you may be looking to write about one element. Uh, That student who I mentioned who was a passionate runner and a really involved runner didn't write about his times or that day that his varsity team won a big race or any of those things in that essay. He wrote about his work with young students and helping to get them more active and helping to prevent childhood obesity. So never let your essay be a laundry list of, uh, of activities. Um, Tova, thank you so much. I appreciate you bringing those uh, questions to the show. Sure. Thanks. Thank you to our listeners for sending them in. Absolutely. And, and please keep sending them in. Uh, just a reminder to everybody, you do not have to listen to our shows live. We love it when you do, but every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. Uh, you can also download every show for free on iTunes. So get in there, check out our archives. Don't worry about making time every Thursday at 4. We are on demand for all of you. And don't forget about our listener contest. Send us your segment ideas, questions like these that Tova just uh, worked through with me. Uh, You could be entered to win a free 30-minute consult with one of our college coach experts. You're going to visit www.gettingin.com forward slash radio. Uh, to send us those ideas. And we're going to draw the second winner on July 28th at noon. Next week, my colleague, Elise Krantz, who writes a fabulous series of blogs every year that covers everything you need to know about the Common App, is going to share her practical insight and great tips for completing this year's application, which, by the way, goes live on August 1st. On the college finance side, we're going to cover income-driven repayment plans. Uh, So don't miss it. And remember, again, we're in the archives. We're 24-7, and we're also here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.